Welcome to Engineering Influence Podcast from the American Council of Engineering Companies. We are coming to you live from our 2022 fall conference in beautiful Colorado. And today, if you were not here, you missed a fantastic presentation from Amy Webb. She is a futurist. She is also the CEO and founder of Future Today Institute. And she gave us a fantastic overview of really how to reprogram our minds to think about, as you put it, the white spaces in not just focusing on the obvious things and getting kind of used to flying cars as an example of pretty much why we keep on reinventing the future and kind of rewiring our minds to think about what else is possible and what else is out there. And and there's a lot to cover. And I know um want to make sure that we uh we 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 you know stay on time here. So uh, really the first question I have uh you know how many do you usually speak to I mean how many times have you spoken in front of like an audience like this of, of engineers? Of, uh yeah a bunch of times. Yeah. Yeah. I do you see the, the kind of the same kind of response from the audience when you start talking about these things? No. This audience of engineers was much more lively. Yeah. They laughed. <laughs> <laughs> well these are the business guys. These are the guys uh, who are, yeah. yeah. Um listen I, I always love talking to engineers because I feel like it's a place where I can make an impact. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the type of thinking I do is orthogonal, meaning mm -hmm. um, sort of jumping off from different places, yeah. seeing where we get. And I think engineering tends to be more linear thinking. So it's a little bit of a challenge. I think it was a challenge. Can I convert people over to my, my way of thinking? And I think you come at it with a very good background with this audience. Your background is in game theory and economics, which is... It's its own interesting area of 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 things to explore, but you know, you kind of brought up your 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 husband and, yep. and at the time boyfriend when you were dating him, and he kind of wanted to be an engineer. And he thought about Tony Stark, yeah, and Tony Stark being you know the ultimate engineer. Yeah. And then I always think about Tony Stark as the ultimate you know futurist, as the person who could see yeah. the white spaces yeah. and say this is how the future is going to be, and actually move towards that. And you make the point that to be a futurist, you're not a prognosticator; you're simply trying to figure out the signal to noise and like where you need to go. You brought up a, a couple of areas of disruption with um, which could affect the engineering industry. First being extended reality. And you, and you brought up the great, amazing news that came out of Meta that, you know, now everyone has legs. Right. Um, let me let me ask you a question about extended reality. I mean, really, do you see this? Everybody remembers the first iteration of this second life, mm -hmm. right? Way back when you kind of got in there and then you got in and you're like, what am I going to do here? Right. You know, Facebook, well, met now Meta and a lot of companies are, are really doubling down on the metaverse. Apple, other companies are instead doubling down on augmented reality or, or you know, that that extended reality. Where Where do you see the industry going? Do you think that there's going to be a point where one's going to win or is it going to be a situation where they kind of merge together? Right. So I think um, we're just in the the midst of a transition. So there have been three iterations of the web. Mm -hmm. Web one uh, was, uh, you know, early days of the Internet. That's TCP IP protocols, just being able to like move information around. Um, but it was very much one to one. Uh, web two was about one to many or, or even the beginning of decentralized protocols. Um, we're just moving into this next iteration of the web, which is. Um, distributed, uh, interactive, and in some cases embodied. So it's, it's just like we're just moving along on a trajectory. And that includes things like um, blockchain technologies, things like that. Um, 
augmented reality and what I would call metaversal technologies, so spatial computing and things like that. Um, some of these technologies are not yet mature. But what's starting to happen is that there were, there were some other things happening at the same time. Facebook is coming, Meta, is coming under extreme scrutiny from different governments for, for very good reasons, right? For having done some, some not so great things. Um, you know, Apple is one of the largest companies in the world by market cap, mm -hmm. but their primary product is a phone. Yeah. And by our account, like by our models, you know, the, the, we're probably looking at the beginning of the end of the smartphone and that probably started happening in 2018. Yeah. Um, so, so what we're seeing is companies now trying to either shift focus or stake, stake new sort of territory. And that is having a ripple effect throughout every industry, which is why suddenly you see a bunch of chief metaverse officer announcements happening. A lot of this is just extreme hedge. FOMO. Hedge. It's a hedge or it's like extreme FOMO, fear of missing out. Um, and, and that makes it really hard to pay attention to the stuff that matters. So right now, from my point of view, what, the stuff that does not matter is whether or not we inhabit a, a second life style virtual environment it's plausible that people may choose to spend some time in that at some point but in the more practical near-term reality it's all about extended reality which is kind of like augmented reality but just more interactive and that's that's why people are kind of still out there waiting for the big disruptor of apple were to like steve jobs did with the iphone and and, and, well, event and come out with yeah. something that's i mean i think hard. apple's working on a pair of glasses yes. right we yeah. know that apple's yeah. working on glasses uh, google meta microsoft uh, every, everybody's working on glasses and the glasses are really meant to be not very futuristic or cool looking, but much more like the glasses that I've got on right now, which are yeah. pretty boring, brown tortoise, you know, your basic glasses, your basic yeah. glasses. Right. And, and again, like you, you may be saying to yourself, I'm never going to wear a pair of smart glasses. Well, here's what I would say. Um, the accelerating factors are, uh, because of technology, Americans are becoming more and more, not just Americans, like everybody more nearsighted or myopic, which means that um, this, the speed with which people need to start wearing corrective lenses is happening faster than ever before in human history. Our eyes are just not evolving as fast as the technology that we're using. Um, you know, and, and really our bodies weren't designed to like look up close at a tiny little screen and then look far away. Our bodies were designed for hunt, like running away from the the beast yes. coming at us, right? Okay, so what this means is that more and more people are gonna be wearing glasses anyways. So if you have a choice between, you know, um, analog glasses or a reasonably priced set of digital glasses, which one is the average person gonna choose? Exactly, they're right? gonna choose. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, kind of shifting a little bit, you also used your husband's medical practice and mentioned that he kind of left. And you know, by the way, he doesn't know that I did any of this. Really, really. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was funny. thinking I should probably go home tonight and show him what I well, just it, showed him. It, it was interesting because I was sitting back there and I was I was at my optometrist last week. Okay. And interestingly enough, I switched to a new one and it was like night and day because my pre previous doctor was the old model. Yeah. And you explained the old model of how you had to have the eye drops, you yeah. have to go in it. And the new is... I go into a room with a bank of machines yep. and I go from machine to machine to machine to machine. They evaluate different things. It's yep. all digital. Then I right, go into the right. room. That's all digital. Right. And then they start talking about 
well, we're worried about, you know, potential glaucoma in the future. We're going to start building a predictive model right. now right. so we can actually- It's about a baseline, right? Why wouldn't you, like all medicine should be that way, right? Because yeah. well, here's a really interesting tidbit. So I lived in Japan for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first time I went to the doctor in Japan, I had a stomach bug or something. They asked me what my temperature was. And I was like, I don't know, stick yeah. a thermometer in my mouth. Uh, and I'm fluent in Japanese, so it wasn't okay. a language issue. And uh, they were like, no, 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 no. Uh, what is your normal temperature? Mm -hmm. And I was like, 98.6 when whatever that is metric. Yeah, and, yeah. And it turns out um, 98.6 is actually not most people's average temperature. And I didn't know this until I started living there, but like my normal body temperature is closer to 97.9. And that may not seem like a big deal. However, all of life is full of these uh, sort of benchmarks that don't make sense for you, for individuals, um, which is why having those baselines matter. But that's not just in your doctor. That's also everyday life. Yeah. Exactly. Right. I mean, it's, it's also it relates to engineering. Mm -hmm. Like are the baselines that you're using the right baselines, yeah. given what we know. And, and, you know, to that point, I think that one of the one of the areas that you also touched on was digital twinning. Yep. And the software's, uh, it, you know, it's, the idea of engineering not just being the service of designing the building or designing the bridge or what have you, it is also owning the metadata of that yeah. object yeah. and creating that into a software as a service or a subscription model right. basis. And it seems like through the green building standards or the or the zero net zero carbon standards that a lot of cities are, like you said, California is a, has adopted a very aggressive model. Boston also has this, like a zero carbon model that they're trying to go after. <laughs> The firms that can see the potential of owning and 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 creating a service for that data mm -hmm. are going to be the ones that are going to be able to inoculate themselves against the Amazon. That's right, but but maybe it's not just about inoculation. Maybe it's about creating new revenue centers. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, from what I understand, you're part of the industry. You're kind of at the end of the value chain. Yeah. Right. Which means you have the least flexibility and the least amount of control over your share of the revenue pie, which is insane to me since yeah. you guys are the brains of the operation. Okay. So aren't there ways that we could create new profit centers um, to sustain the work that you're doing? So I live in a house that's a hundred years old, almost a hundred years old. And uh, we have blueprints, but there's been a lot of work done over the years. And then when we moved in, um, we spent a year, you'll appreciate this. We spent a year renovating it, but what we renovated was inside. Nobody can see it. Yeah. We ran a conduit throughout the entire house. And mm -hmm. my husband and his friend who works at Crestron spent an inordinate amount of time like wiring for Crestron. Yeah. yeah. At any rate, um, wouldn't it be great if there was now a digital twin that reflects the sensors, all the, you know, all of the other stuff. Exactly. Um, and I asked our general contractor about this, who we're just super good friends with. Mm -hmm. And he was like, that would be awesome. Yeah. But I, I, how? How, I can't, I'm a small guy, like a small ops guy. Um, I would love that, but I just, I need to plug into it. Yeah. So again, I think there's an opportunity there within the industry. Otherwise somebody else is going to build it and, and just eat, again, let's get going to eke out more of your opportunity. And that's, and that is where the threat of the non typical engineering firms, where you have your alphabets, yeah. your Amazons yeah. with a significant amount of money to be in, invest in this and to pull that talent that's coming out of the universities who, right. you know, and that's one of the, one of the big challenges that we have on workforce is how do we actually market that and say that, you know, the next big disruption could be in this industry. 
And you just have right. to be the right person to kind of see the opening there to actually be the person. I just think you need to, again, like, can you guys tell a better story about what you're doing? I yeah. um, I mentioned this project in uh, Saudi Arabia called The Line. Yeah, oh, the, 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 um, so, yeah. yeah, and I was going to ask about that. Which actually. is like, listen, there's all kinds of problems with Saudi Arabia. So, but um, if you just look at the project itself, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. And there's an enormous amount of vision and foresight that's gone into that, but we see pockets of that in other places. Um, I think the question is, what's the story that as a community, you guys can tell about the future that you see yeah. coming and the role that you're going to play in it? I don't think you're doing that. No, right? we have to do that more effectively and we have to be more aggressive about it. Right. Because like, I actually know plenty of people who work at some of these big tech companies who know what's going on in Saudi Arabia. And I think if not for the political and ethical complications, would probably have left their big tech jobs to go work on that project. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, and that's an interesting project in its own because it's it, it, they're trying to navigate those cultural and you know social political issues right, right. because they're saying, well, you treat this as its own thing. Right. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it, that it could be amazing if they build the line as they're going to build it, yeah. and they do everything they're actually saying that they're going to do. This could it could transform a lot of those technologies that you mentioned, like magnets and moving, you yeah. know, people moving and autonomous movement systems. It's going to be amazing. But the other thing is, as a community, you guys could get together and say, "This is what our vision of yeah. the future could look like." You could start producing public scenarios. Mm -hmm. To inspire others, exactly. right? To, yeah. to draw them to you. And that is and that is the message. I mean, I, anyone listening, I think that that is something that is critically important. You're focused on the business that you're doing now, or the projects that you're working on now. What is the cohesive story that those projects tell? Yeah. How can you build that into what your vision of the future is going to be? And and it's it's not beyond marketing just for immediate. It's is you're trying to frame what we are shaping and engineering and designing the future. What's that future going to be? And if policymakers are coming to us and trying to regulate us, then the question becomes, how do we guide that policymaking yeah. decision? Because you know, my government background is you know the Hill and you know working on transportation policy and all these great ideas are out there. All these larger firms are working on these different things. A lot of our smaller guys are working as a sub or what have you on these projects, but generally gets lost in translation at policy. How many times does the work that you do um, looking at strategic planning, looking at future trends, mm -hmm. well, hit that roadblock when you have Congress that doesn't right. understand what how a smartphone works, let alone? Right. Well, there used to be something called the Office of Technology Assessment, um, the OTA which in the 90s was uh, doing a lot of this foresight work. They were nonpartisan. Yeah. They were writing hundreds of papers. And basically, they were just there to educate members of Congress on policy and, and sort of thinking through the future. Yeah. That got gutted. Mm -hmm. And we don't have an office of the future. There's no secretary for thinking long term. Yeah. Um, and politics have become pretty cantankerous in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So what that implies is that rather than doing the really long-term visioning that I think the United States used to be known for, there's a lot more short-term, short-termism, nowism. Um, and I don't see that happening in other countries. So I mentioned Dubai when I was talking today. Government of Dubai has a system where they prototype policy. They like sandbox policy while the technology is still being developed. So it's just a really smart way of like, how can we think through like as drones are being built and tested, yeah. they're building and testing and prototyping policy for drones versus trying to regulate in advance or after the fact. Which is what we do. We try right. to yeah. regulating in advance means you stifle innovation. Yep. Regulating after the fact means you wind up in lawsuits. Exactly. These are stupid ways to do it, right? Yeah. So instead, it'd be really interesting 
again, if we think about infrastructure and engineering, could you start sandboxing policy and educating members of Congress yeah. and just thinking through what could, how might policy mm -hmm. help advance yeah. versus restrict or hinder, right? Yeah, and I think for our audience that's, that's engaged in advocacy, especially at the grassroots level, I mean, when the next reauthorization comes around, when the IIJA expires and it comes back to say, okay, what's going to come next? Every bill is going to have an innovation or technology title. It is normally an afterthought, and I can say that from an experience working on the T&I committee. It's like, what's going to be in the innovation title? And usually they do a grab bag of, okay, let's talk to Uber, let's talk to Amazon, let's talk to Google. Right, it's the usual suspects. Exactly. You have the opportunity to be able to say in that innovation title, this is what we're working on, this is what you need to be looking at. Because we've been doing, for example, Vehicle Smile Traveled. How many test projects have we been doing over the past, I don't know, yeah. three, four decades to try to get this to work? Um, you know, so you can help shape that future. Last question for you, yep. because you spent your early part of your career as a reporter in the Pacific region. Yep. Let me ask a question about China. Given the current situation in, in Europe, given, this, given Russia and everything else going on in Ukraine, do you think this is an opportunity that China is looking at saying, OK, we're going to break away from Russia. We're just going to completely just now we are going to be that second hegemonic power and we are we are now going to go from long term into putting stuff into action uh well china's already done that yeah. right so i mean i think by every account uh outside of oil you know russia's not really contributing anything <clears throat> so i mean listen china literally as we are meeting the chinese communist party is having its uh Every every five years, it has a meeting. Yep. Um, they make decisions. There's a leadership shakeup and change. Mm -hmm. It's very likely that Xi Jinping, if he has, if the vote hasn't already happened, and I'm using air quotes for vote, he's definitely going to get another five years, which puts him. It's very unusual for a Chinese leader to serve that long. Yeah. Um, he's got very bold long-term visions, not just about Taiwan statement about what Hong right. Kong has done now Taiwan. Right. So there's that happening, but there's also something called the Belt and Road Initiative. Yes. And the BRI uh, was sort of pitched as an infrastructure plan along the old Silk Road route as a means of increasing trade and you know so so there's a lot of building roads there's a lot of building infrastructure bridges and things like that particularly in africa mm -hmm. but this is also a debt for construction play yes. which means that um i think what we're you know it, it's it a means territory that grab too it is so a lot of these countries lose leverage over time um and listen i i travel all over the world a lot I am increasingly, even especially pre-COVID, um, some construction has slowed down, but like all those construction signs, all those sites, it's Chinese, yep. right? All of it. All of it. Um, I remember being in, again, in Dubai somewhat recently and like that, the labor for the, everything there is Chinese construction. I was in Antigua and there's yeah. a sign in Chinese construction yep. saying this project brought to you by the Republic right. of China. So I think it's important to note that in every industry, China's having an enormous impact. Um, you've probably heard of DeepMind's uh, mm -hmm. uh, protein folding system. They, there was, Baidu has something similar. Um, there's there's a couple of generative uh, stuff happening in AI yeah. from from uh, OpenAI and from Google and others. China has, has that version, too, right? Yeah. So 
Um, and then again, when it comes to infrastructure and engineering, they're setting their own standards. So I think we're looking at a world that's quickly becoming bifurcated. Um, I think that that sets us up for some future challenges. But again, the good news is that the future hasn't happened. Yes. It's it's the result of decisions that we make in the present. Absolutely. And with that, we'll close it out. Amy, I really, I, I, a ton I could, I could go on much longer. I, I really appreciate the time that you've given us. Amy Webb, um, future CEO of the uh, and founder of the Future Technology, Future Today Institute. And uh, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. And again, this has been an episode of Engineering Influence, a podcast from the American Council of Engineering Companies. And we will see you next time. Thank you.